Hi, I'm Pastor DeAndre J. Cross Sr., the pastor teacher of the St. John Baptist Church of Belle Place, Louisiana. Thank you for joining me today on the Renewing Your Mind podcast. Let's go into the sanctuary of the St. John Baptist Church and hear today's message. For the time that is ours to share on today, I want to label today's message the danger of unforgiveness. The danger of unforgiveness. I was blessed growing up to receive many things that other teenagers were not receiving at my age. God saw fit to call me into the music ministry and I began playing music for two churches and with that I was going to need to get back and forth from those churches for rehearsals and for Sunday services. So my grandfather went out and he purchased for me a 1980 Chevy Malibu. Beautiful car. He purchased it from a sister by the name of Sister Minnie Henry. I was 14 years old, illegally driving to and from where I had to go. What I did not know when he got me the car was I was going to have to make sure that everything was working on the car at the proper times. Because I didn't know anything about cars. I would just ride it and ride it and ride it until one day it stopped on me. That's when I discovered that cars don't run unless you put oil in it. And so this one particular time, I knew I had an oil change, knew I had oil in my car. Um, but for some reason, on my way, wherever I was going, the car stopped on me, and then it would not stop. I turned the ignition. All I heard was click, 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 click. The car wouldn't start. I called one of my godfathers, Ray Provost, to come and see if he could help me with my car. And he looked under the hood to see if he could find what was wrong? He asked me if I had oil in the car. I said, yes, I just put some oil in the car. But after examining the car, he discovered what the problem was. He said, DeAndre, you see these cables right here? These cables connect the battery to the engine and to the starter. But where the cables would connect the battery to the engine, that cable was what he called corroded. I knew he wasn't lying because I was able to see the white stuff covering the places where he was pointing and that corrosion on the, that battery was blocking the electricity from getting in it. Ray then told me, that the engine is not going to start as long as stuff is blocking the connection. And I said, well, <clears throat> how do you fix it? He said, do you have 
a bottle of Coke. And I watched in amazement as he took a bottle of Coke and poured a little Coke on the battery terminals and the corrosion began to bubble away. Then he fooled around with the cables for a little bit and said, try it now. And then I went and I started the engine and all of a sudden the car started perfectly as though nothing was ever wrong with it. Our relationship with God and our prayer life function in the way very similar to how my car did back then. As long as there is nothing in the way blocking our connection to God, we will have unlimited power. But when we allow junk to come in between us and God, we are dead in the water. And no matter how hard you try to turn the key in prayer, you will discover that you will have no power. Now, the best way to keep from having spiritual junk hinder your prayer life is to try to avoid it. But when you have not avoided it, the best thing to do is clean it up as soon as possible. And I have discovered that there are several common blocks to effective prayer that are designed to keep us from experiencing the power that we ought to feel in prayer. And chief among those blocks is something called unforgiveness. The reason unforgiveness hinders our prayers is because prayer is about fellowship. Prayer is about relationship. Prayer is about relationship on a vertical and on a horizontal level. Oftentimes in prayer, we focus on the vertical, but over the past two weeks, we have been forced to deal with this horizontal aspect of prayer, which says we cannot be out of fellowship with our brothers and sisters and expect God to hear and answer our prayer. Jesus made this clear that reconciliation with an offended brother or sister is more important than even bringing your offerings to the Lord. And we saw on last week that we cannot receive God's forgiveness until we forgive other people. Here is what I'm really trying to say. What I'm trying to say is effective prayer demands a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. This idea of forgiveness, it forces us to deal with one issue in two ways. Forgiveness forces us to deal with the problem of sin, but Jesus seems to teach here that it's not just a matter of dealing with the sin that we have committed against God, but now we have to deal with other people's sin against us. It forces us to not only have to deal with our need for forgiveness, because of the sin that we have committed against God, but it forces us to have to deal with our need to forgive others who have wronged or who have sinned against us. 
One of the reasons that so many people struggle with this idea of forgiveness is because we have some misconceptions about forgiveness. To really understand what forgiveness is, we must first understand what forgiveness is not. These misconceptions matter because sometimes we say we can't or we won't forgive, but when we say that, we're actually talking about something other than biblical forgiveness. And so I want to just list for us a few things that forgiveness does not mean. Forgiveness does not mean that you approve of what someone else did when it was wrong. Forgiveness does not mean that you pretend that the evil never took place. Forgiveness does not mean that you make excuses for other people's bad behavior. Forgiveness does not mean that you justify evil so that sin somehow becomes less sinful. Forgiveness does not mean that you overlook abuse. Forgiveness does not mean that you deny that others tried to hurt you repeatedly. Forgiveness does not mean letting others walk all over you. Forgiveness does not mean refusing to press charges when a crime has been committed. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting the wrong that was done. Forgiveness does not mean pretending that you were never hurt. Forgiveness does not mean that you must restore the relationship to what it was before. Forgiveness does not mean that you must become best friends again. Forgiveness does not mean that there must be a total restoration as if nothing ever happened. Forgiveness does not mean that you must tell the person you forgive them. Forgiveness does not mean that all of the negative consequences of sin are canceled. Forgiveness doesn't mean that. In fact, these are all misconceptions that cause us to forfeit the freedom that forgiveness brings into our lives. So the question now becomes, what then is forgiveness? Here is what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a decision made on the inside to refuse to live in the past. It's a conscious choice to release others from their sins against you so that you can be set free. It's a decision to relieve a person from an obligation or a debt incurred by a sin or infraction against you. It, it, it means to, to cancel a debt and not keep the offender indebted. Forgiveness does not deny the pain. Forgiveness does not change the past. But it does break the cycle of bitterness that binds you to the wounds of yesterday. Simply put, forgiveness is what allows you to let it go and move on. The question now becomes, how do you know if you're struggling with unforgiveness? I'm glad you asked y'all ask all the right questions. 
Here's how you know if you're struggling with forgiving others. If you constantly use what the person said or did as a topic of conversation, you haven't forgiven. If you have everything dated and cataloged, you know what you were wearing, you know what you were driving, you haven't forgiven. If you daydream about getting revenge, you haven't forgiven. If your mind is preoccupied day and night dwelling on the situation, you have not forgiven. If you get annoyed if someone mentions the person's name, you have not forgiven. If you tend to avoid the person and go down the other aisle in the grocery store, you have not forgiven. If you are low-key glad to hear about the person's current difficulties, losses, failures, and setbacks, you have not forgiven. If your friends and family are tired of talking to you about this situation, you have not forgiven. If you get mad because your close friends are still close friends with them even after they knew what they did to you, you have not forgiven. If you feel some kind of way getting on Facebook and you see them in a picture with some of your closest friends, kicking and smiling and acting like everything is all right, you start to question their loyalty to you, you have not forgiven. And the longer you take to deal with this corrosion of unforgiveness, the more your prayer connection will, with God will continue to be blocked. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Matthew chapter 18, yeah. verses 21 through 35, is known as the parable of the unforgiving servant. The parable of the unforgiving servant is the last exhortation for the church in Matthew 18. The point of the parable is really self-explanatory. In this parable, Jesus is seeking to connect the point he is making in verses 15 through 20 concerning how to respond to a brother or a sister that sins against you. He's making the connection to Peter's question of how often shall I forgive a brother or sister who sins against me? In verses 15 through 20, Jesus says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. The first step is to go to that person one-on-one. -on -one. And if you're scared to go one-on-one -on -one and you bring it to Facebook, you're out of order. I heard recently somebody going off on Facebook and they say, well, I'm doing what the Bible say. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you one-on-one, -on -one, but yet you're doing it on Facebook. <laughs> Have I got a witness here? No, the Bible says you first go one-on-one, -on -one, and if they don't hear you, here's the second step. Now you bring somebody with you. Because by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established, but if he refuses to hear you and your witnesses, then tell it to the church. 
But if he refuses to even hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. And then it goes on to say they could be excommunicated from the church. Now, much attention has been given to this final step in the process of excommunication or being kicked or kicking out unrepentant people from the church. But the real goal of this process is reconciliation, not excommunication. And although the conversation is shifting away from church discipline in 21 through 35, the point is still the same. The way in which we treat one another the way in which we treat a person who sins against us still matters. Peter, understanding what Jesus is saying, he asks the question in verse 21, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then he throws a number out there and he says, up to seven times? In those days, it was common among rabbis to encourage people to forgive a brother who repented or who repeated sin up to three times. Now, after the third time, then there is no more forgiveness. So Peter, thinking he had a really big heart, said, I know rabbinical training says three times, but, but I got a big heart. So, Lord, should I forgive seven times? And isn't that how Jesus responds? Jesus responds in verse 22 by saying, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, there's some debate on this because some translations say 70 times seven, while others say seven times seven, while others say 77 times. New King James Version says 70 times 7. And if I use my sanctified imagination, Peter probably says something like this. Yo, son is tripping. <laughs> 70 times 7? That's 490 times. But don't let that cause you to miss the point. The point Jesus is making is you don't count the number of times you forgive someone. The point Jesus is making is forgiveness is unlimited. There is no limited, there is no limit to the number of times you and I should forgive someone. Yes, sir. And yes. truth is, many of us are just like Peter when it comes to forgiveness. We try to count how many times we forgive and how many times we will forgive. And we say things like, all right now, two strikes, the third strike, you're out. We say things like, all right now, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. And we count the number of offenses, but Jesus teaches here that true biblical forgiveness is unlimited. What he's really saying is, even if you do count how many times you forgive, by the time you reach 490, you would already be in the habit of forgiving to the point to where forgiveness will come naturally. But now let me say this. Because I understand Peter's point. 
Peter is saying, okay now God, how far is too far? At what point is it okay to withhold forgiveness? After all, I'm not going to keep being somebody's fool. But what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is that forgiveness is a matter of the heart. Forgiveness begins in the heart and eventually works its way outward. When you don't forgive, it says more about your heart than it does about the person who offended and sinned against you. And to drive the point home, he tells this parable of the unforgiving servant. This parable can be divided into three movements. Movement number one, we're going to see in verses 23 through 27, the servant receives forgiveness from the king. That's movement one. The servant receives forgiveness from the king. Movement one involves a king who was trying to settle his financial matters with his servants. One of his servants owed the king upward of around about 10,000 talents. A talent, it referred to a weight in coins that was equivalent to about 6,000 denarii. Minimum wage for an employee in those days was one denarius for one day's work. One talent was equivalent to 6,000 denarii. So the servant owes the king 10,000 talents. We don't really know what happened to the money. We don't know why the servant could not pay the debt that he owed. Some suggested he misappropriated the money. Some suggested that he pocketed the money. We don't know, but what we do know is when it came time to pay up, he couldn't. In fact, not only could he not pay it, he couldn't even begin to start to repay it. Does that sound familiar? Let me see if I can help you. The king in the text represents God. You and I represents the servants. You and I owed a debt that we could never repay. In fact, there was no price tag you and I could ever put on this, our sinfulness before a holy God. And when you think things like, well, I haven't sinned as much as the next person, we show that we really have no clue as to the extent of our own sin. Because our sin debt is really deep. But when you look at how the king responds in verse 27, when the servant pleads for mercy and for the king to have patience, out of sheer compassion, the king releases him and forgives him of the debt. Now I want you to see this because the servant could not repay the debt. Therefore, because he could not repay the debt, he begged the king for more time. He begged the king to have patience. But instead of the king giving him more time, the king released him and forgave him the debt. Now the king could have demanded that he give him the money. The king could have said, all right, you know how we do. Pay me a little bit now and then give me the rest later when you get it. But that's not what the king does. Instead, the king releases him and he forgives him of the debt. 
And that's exactly what Jesus did for us on Calvary. See, justice demanded that we pay the debt. But grace and mercy said no. It's, it's not that we didn't owe a debt because we did. It's not that we didn't have a debt because we did. But, but Jesus freely and fully gave, up, gave us, uh, forgave us of the debt by taking our place, freeing us from the penalty of sin and the power of sin so that when we or when our debt comes up against us, the stamp on the bill now says paid in full. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. That's movement number one. The king forgives the servant. Let's look at movement number two. The servant fails to extend forgiveness to a fellow servant. After this servant received forgiveness, he does something appalling. He who has just received forgiveness for a debt that he could not pay now goes out and finds a fellow servant who owes him 100 denarii. And look at what he does. He starts choking him and demanding that he pay him what he owes him. Now I need you to get this. Because remember, a denarius was a Roman coin that was the equivalent to one day's pay. 100 denarii was equivalent to three months' pay. Now remember, the servant owed the king 10,000 talents, but the fellow servant owed the servant 100 denarii. The fellow servant owed the servant three months' worth of wages, but 10,000 was the equivalent to 6,000 denarii. It doesn't take rocket science to see that the servant owed the king way more than the fellow servant owed the servant. Yet, the king released and forgave the servant, but the servant goes out after receiving forgiveness and chokes and demands the fellow servant to pay him what he owed him. Yeah. Yeah. Now the problem with this is not the fact that the servant wanted his money. Truth of the matter is, he really had every right to want his money. But as one writer put it, he did not have the right to demand the money back in light of the grace and mercy that he was shown. In other words, the debt of the felt that the fellow servant owed fails in comparison to the debt the servant owed, yet the king extends mercy and grace while the servant refuses to extend that same mercy and grace. See, the point is, is simply this. When you consider how much you owe God and yet he freely and fully forgave you in comparison to how much someone else owes you because of the offense that they committed against you, you should be able to fully and freely forgive others for the wrong they have done to you because you have did far more wrong to God than anybody could ever do to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. All right. Have I got a witness here? Yes, sir. 
And last time I checked, ain't nobody put you on a cross. No. Last time I checked, nobody put nails in your hands. No. Last time I checked, nobody put nails in your feet. Nobody marched you up a skull-shaped hill. That's what our sin did to Jesus. You, you do realize that it should have been us on the cross. But as my favorite organist in the world penned the lyrics to this lovely song, he was hung up not for his hangups, but he was hung up for our own hangups. What we did did that to him. The sin that we committed put him on the cross. And if he could still forgive us after what we did put him on the cross, whereby he bore our sins, he bore our griefs, how much more should we be able to forgive somebody else who has sinned against us and wronged us? So when we as Christians don't forgive, we are no better than this unforgiving servant. All right, let's compare. Let's compare. Verse 26. Let's look at what the servant did when he couldn't pay. The servant fell down before him and said, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Look at verse 29. The fellow servant did the same thing the servant did. He fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me. I will pay you all. The only difference is the king forgave the servant. But the servant failed to forgive the fellow servant. Movement number three. And I'm done. The master revokes his forgiveness that he extended to the servant. The master revokes the forgiveness he extended to the servant. The king freely and fully forgave the servant. The servant chokes and demands repayment from the fellow servant and throws him in jail until he pays it back. But the story doesn't stop there because other fellow servants were watching everything unfold. And when they saw what was done, they went and reported it to the master. Now, they didn't go and report it to the master out of mess. They didn't go and report it to the master out of drama. I know that because the Bible says that when they saw what was done, it grieved them. That's why we got to be careful because people watching the, how God pours out his favor on us. But they're also watching to see whether or not we pour out favor on others. And you got to be careful that your testimony is not ruined because of unforgiveness. Don't matter how good you preach. Don't matter how good you sing. Don't matter how good you pray. Don't matter how good you play on the instruments. If you don't forgive, you are ruining your testimony because people are watching God's favor on your life and they're looking to see how you're going to handle other people who sin against you. That's why you got to be careful about trying to justify the wrong you do to other people under the cloak of whatever. If you sow it, you're going to reap it. Lord have mercy. 
They, they were grieved by, by what they saw. And when we see people mistreated, we ought to be grieved by it as well. And it ought to move us to a place of prayer where we go and tell the master all that had been done. Why? Because they didn't want to see them break up, but they wanted to see true forgiveness. They wanted to see reconciliation. And look at verse 32. Then his master, after he had called him, said, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you bathed me. Notice the master called him wicked. Why? Because unforgiveness is wicked. Unforgiveness is sinful. He says, you wicked servant. Did you forget the grace I just showed you? Did you somehow forget the mercy that I extended toward you? You forgot how you were just on your knees begging and pleading for me to be patient with you and to give you more time. But yet, in spite of the grace I extended to you, you treat your fellow servant like that? You wicked servant. How is it that you could be so unforgiving when you have been forgiving, forgiven? You're unforgiving after you have been forgiven. Master gets angry. He gets mad. And he turns him over to the torturers. The master said, so you want justice? You want to live by justice now? I'll show you justice. Throw this wicked servant in prison and torment him. Came across something Warren Wiersbe said in study. Warren Wiersbe said, the world's worst prison is the prison of an unforgiving heart. When we fail to forgive, we are imprisoning ourselves and causing our own torment. When we harbor anger and bitterness, it eats us up inwardly, causing inner torment. When we don't forgive, we become tormented by frustration and malice that gives us ulcers and high blood pressure. We become tormented by migraine headaches and lower back pains. We, we become tormented to the point to where we can't sleep at night because we keep regurgitating in our mind everything that someone else has done to us. Let me warn you that you've got to be careful of unforgiveness because an unforgiving heart will stalk you day and night for the rest of your life, never leaving your side, tormenting you and zapping the joy right out of your life all because we refuse to forgive from the heart no wonder why our relationships don't last they don't last because instead of forgiving and dealing with the pain of the previous relationship we bring that same hurt and pain into the new relationship and we don't all that on the new person God sends in our life, but we can't appreciate the new person God sends in our life because we have failed to deal with, some, with what somebody else has done us. No wonder our friendships don't work because we start thinking that all friends are alike. Everybody not alike. Just because that happened to you with that person, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Sometimes you got to tell people, I'm not them. Right. No. <laughs> yes, sir. Whatever they did to you, it ain't me. Yes, sir. 
Lord, have mercy, Jesus. That's between you and them. But if you don't deal with it, then you're going to be saying goodbye to me. Yeah, chunk up the deuce. Now look at the end result. Because in verse 35 he says, So my heavenly Father also will do to you the same thing if each of you don't forgive from the heart. That's the same principle that we learned last week that Jesus is teaching in the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus says, forgive us our debts, key word, as we forgive our debtors. If we fail to forgive others, God will hold us to the same harsh standard of unforgiveness that we exacted against our brother or sister. God will reject fellowship with the believer who seeks relational forgiveness and yet is unwilling to grant it. And this loss of fellowship with God is seen in many believers in many different ways. That's why so many of us are stressed. That's why so many of us are depressed. That's why so many of us are discouraged. But here's the good news. If you learn to forgive, the good news is he will give you peace of mind. He will restore your relationships and he will open up vital communication between you and him, yeah. meaning you and God. I close with this. Don't destroy the bridge of forgiveness to others that you yourself must one day cross. Because as James says, those who extend mercy to others are those who are going to receive mercy. Those who extend forgiveness unto others, the Bible says, those are the ones who are going to receive forgiveness. Thank you for listening to the Renewing Your Mind podcast. We pray that today's message was an encouragement unto you. Until next time, be encouraged.